Welcome to Book Talk for Book Talk, a literary podcast where we've been deep diving into your favorite novels. This is Jack. And I'm Amy. And our listeners love to share their thoughts and theories via email and voicemail, so we're sharing them via our weekly mini-episodes. The views expressed by the hosts and listeners are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author. This podcast is a discussion shared to spark thought and conversation on the characters and themes of this novel. Spoilers may be discussed with or without warning. Explicit language, as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, death, and depression will recur throughout this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Born in London and raised in Antigua and Barbuda, Amina Lovell's debut trilogy, Opal Island, is based on her Caribbean upbringing and West African folklore. Before she started writing young adult fiction, she was a television news producer for three and a half years after attending the School of Journalism at Columbia University. In the spring of 2018, she decided to quit her production job and pursue writing full-time. Amina is a lover of adult animation, tattoos, and long hikes. She currently lives in Los Angeles, California. Welcome. Welcome, Amina. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, We actually met you at the LA Book Fair. Yes. And that was such a great event. Loved meeting all the different authors and contributors and just people who are Mm -hmm. lovers and fans of books. It was so much fun. Um, thank you again for approaching the booth and, you know, reaching out and talking to me and everything. It was it was so great. It was such a cool booth. And I'm also a sucker for a good cover. Right. So, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, that's the whole point of the draw is to be like dramatic, very, you know, big and effective, which is why her like her eyes are so big and her ears yeah. so big is like to draw the, the person in. I mean, everything about it was like, first the booth, I was like, ooh, pretty. And then I get closer and I see the cover, ooh, pretty. And <laughs> it's everything worked. It lured me in right away. Oh, that's what we love to hear. Amazing. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got into writing? Sure. So I'm, as you said, from an island called Antigua. I've been writing since I was about 10, 12 years old. When I was in what you guys consider middle school, there's called primary school and um, high school, which we entered there at the age of 11, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I started doing a lot of like personal essay writing. I won a lot of competitions for my writing in high school. And I just knew that that was what I wanted to pursue as a career moving forward. Um, I took the journalism route. And so between, I would say, ages 16 to my early 30s, I did various communication jobs, various production jobs. I worked for BET. I've worked for Fox. I've worked for Hearst Television as a news producer, as you also said. And then I kind of got to a point where I really wanted to be more creative with my writing. I got very stuck in a box. Um, if you know anything about news production or you know the news in general, it's very institutionalized. It can feel very... Um, too strict. And I felt like I have more to say. So I started writing this story in 2018. And then I actually quit my job in 2019, prior to what my bio says. I apologize about that. But um, yeah, so I have been writing really on and off since I was 12. Um, I've done various scripts, spec scripts and stuff like that. And I kind of, as we'll talk, went through a very long process to get to where I am right now. I love that passion because I feel like there's so many people or so many kids really when they're 12, they they love to write and everything, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a passion that trickles off where they don't feel like they can take it seriously or it's almost becomes yep. embarrassing. Like that's what I always like, especially for poetry or short stories and every, everything. It becomes like the, this 
I mean, I'm talk- maybe this is just me no, and revealing no, a little no. bit too much about myself, but it's like, you know, did I want to tell everyone that I was writing fan fiction online? No, I didn't, even though it was like doing really well. And it was, but like the fact that you're able to keep going with it is fantastic. It shows that the passion for writing never leaves. Absolutely. I would 100% agree. And you're right. At first, I was thinking, how can I make money off this? And after I got my first couple of no's in my early 20s, I pivoted to something else. I started doing more like corporate institutional institution mm-hmm. jobs, nine to fives, just to be able to still say I'm writing somewhat, but not really. You know, it's not really mm-hmm. what I want to do. Yeah. It's not really what I want to say, but it can actually make you money. And so when you get to that crossroads of, okay, am I going to still keep doing this and be unfulfilled? Or am I going to actually do what I want? It can be very trying and very you know confusing, but I'm very happy that I, I stuck with it and that I got to this point right now. God, that's impressive. It really is. It's, it's not, I think it's a jump a lot of people would love to make, but not a lot of people have the courage to do. So can you tell us a little bit about that process for you? Were there roadblocks that you experienced? And if there, what advice would you have for others who maybe want to make a similar change, but are afraid right now to do that? Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the advice because this is something that I've still been working on in my life currently and helped me along my five-year journey of getting this book out. So I would say respect the pivot. A lot of people think about pivoting in terms of different variations of your life. So you pivot from like, you know, a nine to five to maybe like a teacher or um, a small business owner. So you, you have like different masks or different types of lives that you can have. I would say focus on the idea pivot. If you have a seed of something really important and the first couple of tries don't work, just keep getting different iterations of it. And eventually you'll find like the last iteration that will get you there. I say that because the way in which I did this started off as um, Catwoman fan fiction. Actually, the idea that came to me, yes. it, was, it was called yes. Origin at first. And it was about a young girl who was in this also on an island, but her whole background was how she became Catwoman. Because what I thought about it is that we don't Mm -hmm. have like a real deep history of who Catwoman is and where she came from and like her childhood and all Mm -hmm. that great stuff. So I figured, okay, what what if she was, um, this is where some of the West African folklore comes in. What if she was um, the queen Basset? She's this like tiger headed goddess in West African mythology. Mm. And what if that part of her character or like that seed of her soul transferred down into Catwoman and that's who she became. And so that came from like different research and just digging into West African culture because I was very curious about it. And from there, I just started writing more for me and my life and my like past history with my family and things I went through in high school mm-hmm. and growing up on an island. And little by little, it started to become this like other thing. Um, what I really wanted it to be was an adult animation. That was like my first seedling of an idea. So I started a script that got rejected. Then I did like a pitch Bible to show some of the illustrations and characters and like Mm -hmm. world I was trying to build that got rejected. Did other spec scripts of like kid shows and like a still kind of variation of that, that got rejected. Tried workshops and like getting into workshops in LA and like, you know, trying to, you know, um, workshop this idea to get it to another point that also got rejected. So after like three years Mm -hmm. and then the pandemic hit. So yeah. Just going through all these no's and then I, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keep pivoting. I was like, okay, if this doesn't work, I'm going to try this. This doesn't work. I'm going to try this. This doesn't work. I'm going to try this. And so I ended up making an ebook that had illustrations in it 
everyone, including like my friends and family read it, like maybe 10 people read it, but I got QR code stickers when all around LA, when I first got here, I went to every black bookstore, every um, BIPOC bookstore. Mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, I have this book. Can I just, you know, put the QR code sticker and just promote it here on one of the bookstores is called the reparations club in Inglewood. They put me onto my current publisher cause they read it. They loved it. And then they published it. And now here we are. That's amazing. That's really inspiring. I know it that's really impressive. That's <laughs> just taking it all in like that's incredible it just shows i mean it's the the drive the determination and believing in what you're writing too absolutely yeah that's after so many rejections you know i can only imagine how you might feel dejected or the desire to persevere can be diminished over time but that's so so impressive and admirable and I applaud you for that because that's hard to do. And I think sometimes we don't let – it's a side of publishing that people don't always talk about too. You know, like we know – we know a lot – we obviously know all the successful, you know – the big ones out there. And I think for me, book talk, um, TikTok, but it's the book talk community is really helping promote like understanding self-published authors a lot more. And I feel like we're in a really great time with self-published authors because they're being taken more seriously. There are serious fan bases there and it's making reading so much more accessible. Exactly. Exactly. And that's another thing that I really actually appreciated about my journey is that I never got, I never had to compromise my vision and my story. That's mm-hmm. so important, so near and dear to me. A lot of it is very personal. And a lot of what I was getting the feedback from was like, it doesn't have a mainstream audience or it's too niche or something. And I'm like, mm, I, <sighs> no. Uh, you know, no. And I didn't want to no. take no for an answer. So I, I feel like Anthony Morrison said this, if there's a book that's in you or that you want to read that you have not read, that means you're supposed to write it. And so I just kept on with that. Exactly. I, won't, mm-hmm. I won't even act like I didn't get discouraged or like, maybe this isn't for me. All these people probably know better than me. And, you know, so maybe the no's are a sign that I should, you know, pivot into something else that like this wasn't for me. But every time I would do that, like a month later, I would just have like this burning, like, I can't let this go. I just, you know, when you just like, yeah. you're a baby. And you have put time and effort and thought and you can just see it so clearly. So I just didn't want to let the the seed that I had within me die. And the only way for it to actually grow roots and branches and actually be seen by the world is if I kept watering it. So that would be my advice to people who are on this journey. If you're in the middle of your nose right now, like just keep pivoting, keep pivoting your idea. Because if you have a good one, don't let anybody take that away from you. Your IP is like gold out here, especially in like the writing world and creative yep. world, your mm-hmm. own imagination and things that you can create are your, are your special sauce. So keep. And going. niches are where it's at too. I agree. Like I niche agree. is like every time they're like, Oh, this won't be widely uh, successful. And it's like, no, it is. How do like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's 8 billion people in the world. So yeah, when everyone's niche has an audience, you know, if I found, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. people that like this, I'd feel successful. You know what I mean? Like I don't, that's, that's how I view it. So. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, I mean, like just listening to you, it's inspiring. I can tell I'm going to be real jazzed after this, after we're done talking. <laughs> I don't be like, you know what? I'm going to go right right now. Amazing. Uh, Cause I already feel it. Amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that my journey and the things that I've been through can help other people again, through their nose roadblocks, through mm-hmm. their rejections, because we all have to face it regardless of whatever career you're in, you know, cause again, it could be small business. Yeah. It could be want to be a nurse or a teacher or something that's oh, yeah. more of a trade. 
but maybe you're not good at it right away or you still need time and development mm-hmm. with it. Like the patience and the pivot is what I give respect to. That, that is what has humbled me and really gotten me to this point. Oh, I love that. Respect the pivot. So a little bit of a, le- a little bit of a turn here, but who are some of the auth- some of your favorite authors that have inspired you over the years? Sure. So growing up, I was, this is so, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but one of my favorite um, series was actually Sweet Valley High by Francine Pascal. I don't know if anyone <laughs> knows that or remembers that. Maybe I'm sure in my age here, but that was actually one of my favorite series. I was also really into like Nancy Drew, The Hardy Boys, Anything by Rose. Yes. Like yeah. those were my favorite, favorite yeah. authors growing up. Um, but as I got older, I really started to develop more of my, myself, my personality, inner wellness and being. So I have like mm-hmm. pivoted to nonfiction and I read a lot of that now. And of course, growing up, I read like Toni Morrison, James Baldwin, all the classic authors. But as of like the last, I would say seven years or so, I'm actually more on like Robert Greene, Esther Perel, who I am obsessed mm-hmm. with. I love her. Um, just give great advice as to like, managing relationships and habits and becoming like a better person. Cause that also helped with this journey of like the not giving up, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. stoic mm-hmm. ways. Also, I think his name is Ryan holiday. He has some fantastic books around stoicism. So all of that kind of really helped shape me, but yeah, sweet Valley high. If you remember that and you're listening, yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people I interact with who read nonfiction treat nonfiction and fiction very as, as if they're very disparate. But at the end of the day, it is it is writing and it is a voice and it's about how you convey information. Absolutely. And there's some nonfiction that is better than other nonfiction mm-hmm. because of the way it's Absolutely. written. And you can be a fiction writer who reads nonfiction because at the end of the day, it's about how are you honing the craft and is what you're consuming helping you hone Absolutely. the craft? Absolutely. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I feel like nothing's wasted in literature. You know, you can read anything you read, mm-hmm. you can take something from, you can always get a takeaway from it. So whether you are leading towards fiction or nonfiction, as long as we're all reading, right? Yeah, I agree entirely with that. I'm on a, I, I like to call this my smut journey. Mm-hmm. And I started last year reading smut and I was. Uh, love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I it took over my life to be honest. Where I was always like a, you know, his. Uh, I mean, I was like, I was either hardcore fantasy or extremely pretentious, and that was just like my. Uh, I mean, and I'll get like I'll own my like my pretentiousness. Like you know, I read every Jane Austen book. Like yes, I'm that asshole, but it's also like you know. But I also read a lot of fantasy books, and then but I never like gave respect to the like romance genre. Yeah. And holy crap, some of these books were just, I mean, some of them are, yeah, they're, yeah, they're steamy, (laughs) but some of them are just like so well written. And I never would have thought in a million years, which is like, again, my own idiocy, like stopping myself from actually like giving credit, but it doesn't matter, you know, any genre, there's good writing. And then even like you're, I think you're kind of hinting at like even bad writing, you take something away from it. Like there's always a book that you're going to be like, all right, maybe I wouldn't have made those choices. Right. But, you know, but, you know, I thank you for this different perspective and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's always the polite way of like, thank you yeah. for a perspective. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> so since you do read a lot of nonfiction, you know, have you been interested in reading nonfiction or ha- 
you know, I I know you mentioned going on a journey of specs and script writing. Was young adult always the dream or is that kind of just where you ended up landing? Um, That's actually kind of where it ended up landing because my demographic as I was writing it, as I said, I started off as like an adult animation thought and fan fiction. Um, But I always figured that 12 and up would read it. And so as I'm writing it, that's just the genre I, I fell into. And what I really love about it is it's so experimental. Young young adult fiction can be about anything. You can be anywhere. You can build worlds. You cannot. It can be every day. It, it gives you so much free range. And I really, really love that about the genre. Um, but yeah, I didn't like set out saying this is going to be a young adult fiction series. It really just grew organically into, into its own thing. That's great. And I love that you... Even though you started in adult animation, you didn't shy away from all the different options that of what it could Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Until until you found where the voice maybe was mo- fit most. I, I, absolutely. Yeah. As I said, I just wanted to get the story out there because it, it's taken on so many different iterations. But I really love the fact that I can have it in a book form because, again, it's kind of like experimental because... As you guys have had it, it's a little short. It's so like 88 pages. It is illustrated. It's black and white. So it's not really, it's a comic book length, but not a comic book design, like internally. Yeah. Like an illustrated book. Yep. But it's also kind of like a comic look to it because mm-hmm. it's, it's thinner. So I, that all of that was intentional. I didn't want like a long read. I wanted to hook the reader with like short, concise writing, get like a, a quick story out, but also build a world and, you know, kind of draw you into the characters mm-hmm. and who they are so that we can build into book two. So every book will build upon itself, obviously. And I think of it as like a, a quick hour 20 movie or something. You know what I mean? Like something that you can yeah, like yeah, yeah. dig into into a weekend and feel like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, I think with young adult literature, over the years, I like how it's evolved because I'll, hopefully I'll say this correctly, but I like the way that you wrote yours because you didn't talk, it didn't feel like you're talking down to kids. Like, obviously, it's this is for a, a YA audience, but it didn't feel like you're talking down to anyone because the themes are still fairly mature yeah. because, like, that opening scene. I know. I was like, <laughs> with the image and the drawing associated with it, yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, it's, yeah, we're, we're in this. But at the same time, it was very, you know, like, that's what happens. Like, that's life. So it's, you know, it's presented in a in a young adult package and it's welcoming like that, but you're not talking down to kids. And it's definitely changed from like how young adult as I knew it growing up and uh, what I had mm-hmm. and everything. And I, it makes me excited for the kids of today. I know, I know because <laughs> they have such more like a perception of the world than I did at their age. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. so much at their fingertips. They are so accessible mm-hmm. In every, to everything, you know, all the knowledge in the world is available to them at the, the touch of their fingers. And that was not how I grew up. So I didn't want it to yeah. be preachy mm-hmm. and I didn't want it to be condescending to the point where I, you know, kind of explaining to the point where, okay, we get it. We understand what you're trying to say. Just say it, you know, not, not sugarcoat it, but yeah. also not make it too adult. So that also yep. is great with good editors because some of the things I had in there, they're like, whoa, 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 girl, remember this is 12 and up. So you got to scale it back just a little bit. Don't give too much of that. Or, you know, you want them to be able to follow the story along because also I was writing this. I had like these huge ideas that I wanted to compact into this. And my editors were like, okay, we see where you're going. 
but <laughs> you're going to have to feel it in just a little. So like knowing how to take advice and critique and criticism is also very important in this process because sometimes you oh, want yeah. to move a comma, but you have to, mm-hmm. you know, compromise for the vision for sure to make it, to make it, um, adjustable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's very evident that you struck that balance because there was nothing in there that felt too big or too out of place. Everything felt very streamlined and digestible for me if I was still a teenager. Yeah. And I think you did a great job. Ah, Thank you. I appreciate that so much. So you talked a little bit about, you know, having all these big ideas. And I want to talk a little bit more about that, particularly the fantasy in Opal Island and how you created a world that's divided between like there's two different like divides going on. It's really unique. And, you know, the and the magic there is also like pretty unique, especially when you when you add the science behind it that's going on. So can you tell me like where'd you get this original idea from? Sure. So I mentioned a little bit about the Catwoman fan fiction. Um, I read this book called um, African Origins by Dr. Mawata Ashabi. And that talks Mm -hmm. about a lot of like African culture and um, sociology, religion, um, everything that they believed in basically from the pyramids back and forward, like past and present. So with that information, I took some of it and then the West African folklore um, or fairy tale of Anansi. So as you know, Anansi is one of the main characters in the book. In Caribbean folklore and West African as well, he is like a trickster spider god. He's someone who you think is helping you, but you're not sure. And like he comes across as very like mischievous, like mischievous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took some of those big ideas and kind of distilled them into my own life. So I knew that I wanted Anansi to be in it, but I didn't want him to be just um like another character that interacts with everybody all the time he needed to be like separate and unique he had to yeah be someone that you had to really summon to go to because he's kind of like a god so he can't be just someone mm-hmm. who is always there so that was like the first iteration contessa joanna and edmund based on myself and my parents and so i took some of the things that i went through my childhood mixed in with some fantasy um the werewolf culture is because i've never seen black werewolves like i've always seen it in like mm. nordic or like yep. European folk yep. um, fantasy, but I've never seen it in black fantasy. And I wanted something, especially coming from an island, we're very, I want to say aggressive, but we're very assertive and very um, patriotic. And I wanted something that showed that kind of ferociousness in our character. So that's why I used mm. the werewolves. So I just kind of threaded the needle with everything that I liked in terms of like the Afrofuturism and the technology mm-hmm. and it, like de- dealing with the stars and astronomy that's because I'm into astronomy and astrology and I wanted yeah. to kind of pin that into without again being too preachy or cliche I wanted yeah. something that spoke as if it was scientific and not necessarily uh fantasy if that makes sense mm-hmm. like I wanted something like that in the fantasy book that was still that you can still kind of trace back to this has a little bit of truth to it. You know, like there is actually yeah. in the book, there's a, we talk about a star signal called Cygnus, like a, looks like a bird that actually is a true um, star constellation. That's, okay. It's based on a, on a real thing. So I took some of the things that are real in life and then just kind of blended them with my own imagination. So that's like the long answer to yeah. the question. No, I love it. But yeah, it's like little things that I like or researched or into or my life. I just threaded in with the fantasy and just kind of like co-created it. 
Mm -hmm. I love that. And you kind of answered the next question, which was like, what's, what was the creative process to bring all this together? It was just basically, I like these things. I'm going to make it work from the sounds of it. Absolutely. And I love, I love this dichotomy of, I like silent. I like science. I want truth to be present. But I want something that represents my people as well at the same time, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and based in fantasy, and that's 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 pretty magical. And I'm not trying to be like create a pun of some sort or whatever, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's it. I think that's great because I think too often, at least for me, because Jack and I both have written fantasy um, as well. I I get so bogged down by making sure it works, yeah. Instead of being like, I like this, and I'm just going to make it work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you are creating the world. It's literally like you're walking in, creating everything from scratch. Think of it like a Sims game. So whatever you say, <laughs> whatever you say goes. You know, you create that world for yourself. Yeah. Um, I you know. I I did get very like, oh my goodness, the writing process of this because it took five years. And again, as I said, many different iterations. Yeah. And yeah. at first, I had like over three hundred pages. It was supposed to be one book. And then my editors read it and they're like, okay, you completely lost us in the middle. What happened to the main character? We lost her for like three chapters. And then you brought in all these other characters because I just wanted everything that I liked and everything that I wanted to talk about. I wanted it all in one. And it's just like, you no, know, you have to really make, like take people on a, on a journey. And so that mm -hmm. really helped condense it down. But um, yeah, and I, I didn't want to lose too much of my own voice and like copy others or I guess, I don't know, make it as mainstream as possible, you know, like what the yeah. was saying, like make it more relatable to the average person walking around. I was like, but that's not necessarily my experience and that's not what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to yeah. keep going with the story that I have in my mind and my heart. So I was just thinking about, you said, you know, that wasn't your experience. And I think that that's so important, especially for writers who get rejected that, not all of us have the same experience and most of us don't have the mainstream experience. Exactly. So why write about it? Exactly. Just be, we end up writing it because it's sellable, exactly. not because it's true to us. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. And I just didn't, I wasn't interested in being, I guess, inauthentic like, in that way. Yeah. Because then I have to talk about it all the time, you know, if I wrote something that I didn't actually like and who wants to do that, you know, so. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to kind of go more off of that, you know, then the rest of the audience like is really losing out on amazing storytelling yes. and mm -hmm. on amazing cultures and different perspective. And, you know, I'll say like with uh, Afrofuturism, which is one of the big themes in your book, it's not a theme that either Amy and I were exposed to in mainstream media when we were growing up with young and young adult. Like when we were growing up, like we're not young adults now, obviously, but, <laughs> but Afrofuturism is so important for all young adults to have as part of their everyday media consumption if we want to consider ourselves as an inclusive society mm -hmm. and just, again, wanting to be more aware of other cultures. And what are the takeaways you wish readers to have regarding Afrofuturism when they're reading Opal Island and other novels that also include this theme? Sure. So so for everyone listening, just the basic definition of Afrofuturism is envisioning Black futures that stem from experiences in the diaspora. So anything that you can think of that we're going through projected into the future, basically. So whenever people think of that, they're like, oh, so like Star Wars or Black people or something or like people of color. And I want to I wanted to take that and kind of put it on its head. 
one of the main things that I love about this or like the theme of this is writing Renee. Renee is the villain and she's also the one with all the technology and all the kind of mm-hmm. futuristic themes on Parish 2. I loved writing her because I wanted a female villain, first of all, that was very important to me because they're very few and I wanted her to be really like uh, three-dimensional. So it's not just that she is, you know, this one thing, she has a child, she has a loving, caring side that we will see more of, but I also wanted to show that there's something called toxic progression. So when we think of technology and things moving forward, we always think of all the great things that could happen in the future and all the things that people can do with it, but yeah. no one ever stops to think, it, it actually depends on the user of the technology and how it's and how it progresses. So with her, yep. while she has all this great technology and could do so much for both sides of the island, she's using it only for her own selfish gain and greed. So the takeaway I want is like, think of Afrofuturism as something that is great and that we all should all talk about and I'll be involved in, but also let's think of the backsides of that and how it could be negative in a way. Because yeah. again- a lot, there's a lot of amazing books with like one of the ones that I love. His name is Tim Fielder. It's called Infinitum. It's very great. It, t- it talks about a man from like AD ages, caveman ages, all the way into like 2134 living in space. Oh, wow. AI, his journey from man to robot. It's incredible. But I, I wanted something that was a little different and was actually um, a little negative. And I, I only said that because we don't get a chance to be evil sometimes like people of color. Like whenever we're writing ourselves, we want us to like have this amazing, beautiful facade of everything being great and wonderful. And I wanted three dimensional characters. So good, bad, ugly in between all of it. And so that's what I'm hoping people take away is that like two things can be true at once. You know, you can have the parish, yeah. one, which is like those fighters and then parish two, who is incredibly toxic and selfish and greedy and just really out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have, I'm like, we both have thoughts. We both have thoughts. (laughs) I really, I really, really respect this because, you know, first of all, you didn't hyper-sexualize your female villain, which is something that we see in mainstream media. So there's that. But there's also this idea, you know, I love that you weren't afraid to say futurism can be bad mm-hmm. women can be bad a black woman can be bad because you're right we do whether it's a black author or an author of a diff- different color i think there's a lot of fear yes. around making characters of color evil because yeah. that that comes across as racism yes because human beings are one of everything you know what i mean like, like if you just right. broaden and like zoom out a little bit anybody can be evil anybody can be good bad right. Like your intentions are your own and it doesn't necessarily matter what skin color or ethnicity ethnicity you are. But I, I see that it is hard sometimes to like kind of lean into the negative shadow sides to our personality in a, you know, because we want to come off as just like, we're all put together where we are mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. strong, independent, that whole stereotype of, you know, what women of color are. But we're also soft, gentle, evil, manipulative. Yeah. There's other sides to us. And if we are not telling all sides of the story, then we are creating a disservice to ourselves. So that's where like Joanna and Renee are the balance. Joanna is more so what a lot of people would consider a black character to be in a book. And like that kind of martyr, you know, anything for her family, love for her, her, um, her daughter. 
sacrificing everything mm-hmm. for her, herself and her marriage, you know, um, sacrificing for her daughter. If you know, you know, with, you know, what happened with mm-hmm. Tessa. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But in terms of Renee, it's a complete flip side, selfish, greedy, yeah. manipulative, completely for herself, doesn't care about anybody else's feelings, um, only wants what's best for her immediate circle and will sacrifice anything and anyone to get it. So Again, two things can be true at once. Let's let's show both sides to to who we are, and yeah. that's why I really wanted like a female black villain. So she was so much fun to write because that's that's not who I am, you know. But I was able to like dig deep and pour some of the more like darker sides to my personality into it. So yeah. that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's such a reverse of everything where it's like it's dehumanizing, yeah. you know, to say that you know an an entire group of people cannot be more than one way of just being absolutely spot on. And I was actually reflecting on this earlier today as I was driving to FedEx where I was like, you know, like the thoughts that pop in my, like pop in your head and you're just like, wow, nineties, this whole, I don't see color is real. It's always been bullshit. It's just like, you know, it's like, no, we don't see color because it has to apply to just mainstream media, which is just one uh, like one way of looking at it and it just you know it is dehumanizing it's taking away people's complexity and like yes. what's what makes books amazing is the humanity of it yeah and what makes mm-hmm. humans amazing mm-hmm. is that we're complex absolutely and Edmund is also yeah. one of my favorite characters to write because he has like a great character development um and he's based on my dad and my dad's always like, well, why did he have to be the step? And the th-? You know, no, he's like, you know, giving me some feedback. I was like, because mm-hmm. of our relationship, that's genuine. And everything is authentic to that. You know, the same thing with my mom, yeah. how I saw her sacrifice for me growing up. All of those things play a part into it. And I didn't want to just take it away because it's uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Uh, or just not yeah. talk about it because it's not shiny and perfect. Like that's not how the world mm-hmm. actually works. That's not how people's personalities actually are. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. I love that you have so much, you have variety. And I do love that you have these two maternal figures yeah. who very different are very different. But I'm just, I'm sitting here in awe. That's all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's all that comment was about. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you. We've been talking about Opal Island. It leaves off on a cliffhanger. When, what can we expect next? When can we expect it? Sure. Um, well, I'm in the process of writing it right now. And if everything goes well, we're hoping for October for like a late okay. Halloween release. If not then, then it would be February of next year, which was like a year after my first book. So I'd yeah. be in October and February for sure. Look, I, I'm not... I- I am just going to say, hopefully this helps at all, but my birthday is in October. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I can tell Amy what I want for my birthday. And, uh, uh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's, I, so yeah, me personally rooting for October. Okay. Uh, do you have any other exci- additional projects that you're working on that are coming up or things that you're excited about that you want to tell our listeners? Sure. So if you are in the Lansing, Michigan area, I will be there on June 10th at 3.30 at the Socialite Society bookstore. The All the information is in my bio on my Instagram page, um, also on my Twitter page, also on my website, which is my first and last name, dot com. Um, also, I'm going to announce this probably next week when this actually airs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will be in Dallas, Texas on August the 5th. Very excited about nice. this. I'll have more information and more details coming soon, but I am i cannot wait. I'm hoping that that's going to be like a great turnout and the Houston slash Austin 
slash Dallas Fort Worth area will come out and support. So if you're in the Texas area on August 5th, please come see me. Please, everyone, go see. Oh, do you can you share your handles just in case anyone? Absolutely. Is everything it? everywhere is my first and last name. So Amina Lovell. So as Amina Lovell on literally everything. Nice. Thank you. Wonderful. Of course. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amina. This was amazing. I'm so glad that we got to talk to you. You have such great perspective. Yeah. And it's just really humbling to do something that you've done something I've wanted to do for years. Um, and you went and did it. And despite the obstacles, and that's just beautiful. It really me. is. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys so much. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank and you. everyone, please go follow. And if you're in the Chicago or Dallas area, please go say hi for us. Absolutely. It's to you. We're telling our listeners. We're no, you guys go say hi to her and uh you know. Was it Chicago yes, or Michigan? Lansing, Michigan. But Chicago's like two hours away. So you're very close. Oh wow. Well, like, I'm just throwing cities so left and right. It's close to Chicago, close to Detroit, close to Grand Rapids. So Really you're everywhere. hitting a great area. So everyone in those areas go. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this mini episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com or via our Camflare voicemail system. Please visit booktalkforbooktalk.com for more information. You can also follow us on TikTok or Instagram at the handle booktalkforbooktalk. Bye! Bye!